I uh, love the fact that a 17-year-old girl, lady, wants to worship the Lord through a gift that God has given her. Don't you love that? You know, it's in, yeah, you can give her another hand. Thank you. Thank you, Aubrey. It's interesting that as uh, maybe a month or so ago, S Stefan was praying about asking Aubrey to do uh, this dance to Psalm 42 as we were preparing to preach through this. And Stefan came and talked to me about it. And then she uh, called Aubrey and Aubrey said, you know, Stefan, I was just praying that God would give me an opportunity to use this talent to worship him. Isn't that pretty amazing? And you know, we talk often about the statistic that only 2% of people from her generation, 2% have a biblical worldview. And so when there is one in that demographic that loves Jesus and wants to worship Jesus with their church, we need to celebrate that, don't we? And I'm thankful that we could do that. So thank you, Aubrey, for using your gift for the Lord. And uh, I'm gonna invite you to turn to Psalm 42. If you are new here this morning, my name is John and I am blessed to serve as the pastor here. And uh, I, like Chad, also ate way too much for Thanksgiving. And, uh, but I'm thankful that God is good. And all the time. In fact, I was told this week that that many people who are watching online today for many other reasons. One of them, uh, I talked with Taylor and he is driving for FedEx and he said he always has our Facebook live on. And when I say, God is good and all the time, he's like yelling it in his truck. That's pretty awesome. And then I also found out this week that my son, he is uh, on staff at a church in Florida and uh, he also teaches in their Christian school and he teaches a Bible class. And uh, I think uh, he had, uh, well, let's just say he was being lazy and decided that, that for a few weeks in Bible class, they were gonna watch our Jonah series online. And he said like by week three, all the seventh graders in his Bible class were yelling along all the time, God is good. So do you believe that God is good? Do you really believe that? Do you think it's important to believe that? Do you think there's a lot more weight to it than just words that roll off my tongue every Sunday morning? Do you think that sometimes in the heaviness of life, it's good to know that God is good? And really, I, I think one of the reasons I love Psalms is because the Psalms are real. They don't sugarcoat sometimes the way we feel. You ever felt like not coming to church? I asked you that last week, and I was kind of shocked that you were so transparent. Yes, I, I kind of took it personal a little bit, like I might have cried last week. That's not true. But I love the fact that in, in a church service, in a body of Christ, we can, we can be real. We can say, yeah. Sometimes I don't feel like being here. And sometimes it's hard to get out of bed and show up for church. But, that, but that's, that's a simple thing. Sometimes in life, I, I assume you question, does God even exist? And if God does exist, why, is, why are my circumstances the way they are? 
And when you read the book of Psalms, you see that the authors oftentimes, they struggle with doubt, they struggle with fear, they struggle with questioning God, they struggle with life. You know, it's easy to quote Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good to those who are called, those who love him according to like his purpose. And, but what that doesn't say is it doesn't say that life is always good. So it's important not that we just say every Sunday morning God is good all the time and all the time God is good. It's, it's important that we actually believe it because the reality is life is not always good all the time and all the time life is not good. When life gets difficult, how will we respond? And we've looked at a few different Psalms. In fact, I think it's the last six years we've spent November looking at Psalms just because it seems like it's good for Thanksgiving. But as I told you last week, there's only one Psalm in all of the 150 Psalms that's titled a Psalm of Thanksgiving. That's Psalm 100. The rest of them are filled with a lot more emotions than just thankfulness. So we're going to look at Psalm 42, and Stefan read it for us this morning, but let me read something about, maybe yours, uh, if you have a printed Bible, depending on what online Bible you may be using, here's what the title of mine says, yearning for God in the midst of distresses. And then it says, it's to the chief musician, a contemplation of the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah, there's 11 Psalms that have this title, the sons of Korah. Well... Who are the sons of Korah? Well, Korah goes back all the way to Moses. And Korah led a rebellion against Moses, 250 priests. And basically Moses stood before the people and said, if God's on my side, you'll, you'll die a natural death. If God, excuse me, if God's on your side, son of Korah or Korah, then you'll die a natural death and 250 of you will die a natural death. But if God's on my side, Moses says, then God's gonna show up and it ain't gonna be good for you. And the earth opened up and swallowed them. But apparently God showed grace on some of his descendants. And the sons of Korah generations later now would be the ones that would lead the worship in the temple. And we think about the grace of God just in the title, just in the description that this is a song for the sons of Korah, the, the ones that would lead in worship. Listen to this statement. It says this, poetry, singing, music, and the book of Psalms exist because our creator created us with emotions. And I think this is one of the reasons I love Psalms, the authenticity the realness. Listen to what John Piper says in, in Desiring God. He says this about the Psalms. They intend to shape what the mind thinks. They intend to shape what the heart feels. When we immerse ourselves in them, in the book of Psalms, we are thinking and we are feeling with God. How awesome is that? Now, I'm not going to take the time to reread Psalm 42, but uh, also, you will realize that Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, most people, most scholars believe that they shouldn't be separated. It's one song. There's three stanzas and three choruses. So verse 5 and verse 11 of Psalm 42 are pretty much the exact same thing. And then verse 5 of Psalm 43 is also the third time the chorus is repeated. So the Psalms, most of them are actually 
poetry, they're songs written to be sung because they, they bring out emotions in us. Let me just give you a quick overview of Psalm 42 and 43. The author here experiences etern- this external pressure, right? He says, you've forsaken me, verse 3 of Psalm 42. In Psalm 42 and, and verse 7, it says, l- listen to the descriptions. It says, all your waves and billows have gone over me. It's the idea that the problems, whatever the, the psalmist is facing, it just continues as the waves crash and the waves come over and the waves come over. It's like a constant, persistent problem. Psalm 42.10, again, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 43, verse 1, he says, I've been falsely accused. All this pressure is on him. And what most scholars would say is this author, the psalmist, is feeling really a depression. Which leads us to the next thought in this overview here. There's external pressure that leads to internal, really, depression. Let's think of the words that he uses here. Psalm 42, verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night. And they continually say to me, where is your God? Verse 5, verse 11 and verse 5 of chapter 43, he asked the question, why are you cast down on my soul and why are you disquieted within me? You, You ever just said to yourself, why do you feel so bad today? How many of you have ever been discouraged in your life? How many of you have ever been depressed in your life? And the reality is in church culture, we don't talk about this very often. In fact, it was interesting, just uh, I think it was last Friday, we were normally on the last Wednesday of the month, we get to go to North Carolina High School and we, we cook waffles for them. And this, uh, this Thanksgiving holiday, we did this on a Friday and there was a guy that I hadn't met before and started talking to him and uh, asking him what his job is there. And he was basically over their mental health department. I thought it was interesting that that's something that was probably, from my understanding in the school district, something so, somewhat new. And we kind of had a conversation. I said, you know, we don't, we don't talk much about mental health. I mean, we do more now than we used to. What, what I do want to say to you today is this, is that we see in, in the psalm here that the psalmist is, seems as if there's like this physical depression, but also a spiritual depression. And I think there's both. I don't think that if you just pray enough, all your problems are going to go away. Could they go away? Yes. But the truth is, physically, something may be wrong. You may need help. And can I just encourage you that if you're struggling with depression, talk to somebody. Come talk to me after church. I'll be right there in the foyer. We will, we will help you. Don't One of the greatest things about church, one of the greatest things that should be about church is that no one should suffer in silence. If you're struggling, you don't have to hide it, okay? Can we we all say okay to that? We want to help each other. We want to encourage each other. And we see, again, in this psalm, the external pressure leads to this internal depression. But what I love about the psalm, and we see this in verse 5 of chapter 42, in verse 11, and then verse 5 of chapter 43, it's the chorus, right? He asks the question. He's like, how many of you argue with yourself? Please tell me you normally win your argument. 
There, you shouldn't lose the argument with yourself, right? Why am I depressed? Why am I so frustrated? Why can't I feel like getting out of bed this morning? Why can't I make the right decisions? Why are you cast down, oh my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? But in the midst of his depression, the psalmist is striving, fighting for hope. Three times, it's on the screen here, he says it, hope in who? God. I can have hope in spite of my circumstances because of God. And he says, hope in God, yet I shall praise him. And, and sometimes the reality is sometimes you're just going to have to, I don't feel good. I don't feel like it, but I'm going to hope in God and I'm going to praise him anyways. I'm going to praise him in the storm. So he's fighting for hope. In, the, in this fight for hope, I, I want you to think about this statement. Feelings are fickle. And circumstances change. But the word of the Lord lasts forever. Can you say amen to that? My, my hope is not in my circumstances. It's not in my resolve. My hope is in God. And if I place my hope in God and in Christ, yet I shall praise him. Even when I don't feel like it. We talked about this last week, Psalm 100. We're gonna give thanks even when we don't feel like it. We're gonna come to church even when we don't feel like it because it's the right thing to do. Feelings are fickle, circumstances change, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. So I wanna point out these, these six things that really I got from John Piper. These are six things that he points out in this text that the author is, as he's fighting for hope. So these are maybe six principles, six habits, six things that we could do every day. And it, it seems like as we walk through the text, they're not in order in the text, but it seems like in the order they're given here that I'm gonna give them to you this morning is just kind of the normal like life happening. When you're feeling depressed, when you're discouraged, number one is this. The psalmist asked why. You ever ask God why? Look at verse 9, chapter 42. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? Psalm 43, verse 2. For you are the God of my strength. Why do you cast me off? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? The psalmist feels as if God has forsaken him and cast him off. And I would guess this morning that probably you felt that way before too. I don't think he believes that, I just think he feels it. Because he says, the first verse we just read, he says, God, my rock, why have you cast me away? And then in verse two of chapter 43, he says, God, you are my strength. Like he knows who God is. He knows the truth of God's word. He knows that God has not forgotten him, but oh, how he feels like God has forgotten him. It's okay to ask God why. 
Number two, he asks God why, but he affirms God's love. Again, as we just said, like he's you're my rock, you're my strength. But look at verse number eight of Psalm 42. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. In the night, his song shall be with me. In other words, he reminds himself of the goodness of God. He reminds himself of the faithfulness of God. He reminds himself of the love of God. And any time that you feel like God doesn't love you, please, any time you feel like God doesn't love you, remember the cross. John three sixteen. for God, so what's the word? He loved you that he gave his only son. And Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrated his love toward you that while you were still a sinner, you didn't have to clean yourself up. When you were still messed up, God loved you so much that he died for you. Greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. When your feelings tell you, he doesn't love you anymore. Affirm the reality of scripture. God loves you. Number three, he sings. Psalm 42, eight, we just read part of it. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and in the night, his song shall be with me. A prayer to the God of my life. Yesterday, as I was going back over my notes, I started thinking about this. The psalmist, when he's depressed, what does he do? He sings. And I think we have to go back to Psalm 100. It says, make a joyful noise. You don't have to sing good to sing, okay? And you have to sing good to sing up here. There's a difference. They don't let me sing up here. There's a reason. And I, I asked a simple question on Facebook yesterday. What's, what's, what's on, what, what song plays on repeat when you're discouraged? I was shocked at how many answers I got. I looked at this morning, I think there were over 180 comments. And not very many of them repeated. I think goodness of God may have been at the top. Three or four people. The rest of them, I, it was amazing. If you're discouraged, go to my Facebook feed and just look up all those songs and listen to them. You can, you can make your own playlist of everyone else's songs that encourage them, that give them strength. Sing. We just sang the, the chorus of It Is Well With My Soul. That's one of those songs for me that just, wow, it's powerful. You, you know the, most of you do, but do you know the story behind the song? In 1871, Horatio Spafford lost almost everything in the Chicago fires. Shortly after that, his four-year-old son died of scarlet fever. Because of the heaviness of what was going on in their life, he sent his wife and four daughters on a ship to go to England. He would join them. His plan was to join them for vacation. And the ship sunk. And all four of his daughters died. He, he gets a telegram from his wife. And here's the only thing the telegram said. Saved alone, what shall I do? That's heavy. 
saved alone, what shall I do? So he gets on a ship to go be with his wife. The captain tells him, here's the spot. Here's where your four girls died. And here's what he writes. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say. Hmm, that's powerful, isn't it? You see, my, my peace, my hope cannot be dependent on my circumstances. It must be anchored in Christ. The anchor of my soul must be anchored to the God of my soul. Sing. You don't have to sing good. Sing. All right, number five. Let's see, where's my notes here? I can't even see him crying. He remembers. He remembers. Remembers the goodness of God. And he remembers the faithfulness of God. Now I know why I couldn't find my notes. I didn't give you four, did I? How many of you are like freaking out that he skipped four. It's funny because I have my glasses on. I can't see anything with my glasses on other than this. And I see my wife doing this. I don't know if she's giving me gang signs or what. <laughs> like, I can't, I, I can't see you. I just see movement. Hi, how are you doing? Hey, if you've been married long enough, you know, right? Like, she's staring at me. What's going on? A zipper's open. I don't know. What's going on here? Okay. It is well with my soul. That's all I'm going to say. How about we give you number four? He preaches to himself. I need to do that. I heard this statement, and I'm still wrestling with it, but I'm going to give it to you. Stop listening to yourself and start preaching to yourself. What does that mean? Preach the gospel to yourself. God loves you. He, he, again, we've already talked about it, but five, verse 11 and verse five, the three courses. He, he, he's like listening to himself. Why are you depressed? Why are you discouraged? When you listen to your own thoughts and you get lost in your, your depression. And he, but he says, he, he makes a declaration, hope in God, I shall praise him. Like I'm gonna preach to myself that God is good, that God is faithful, that God is just, that God is merciful, that God is long suffering, that God will never leave me and he'll never forsake me, that his grace is sufficient, that in everything I'm more than a conqueror through him, that all things are possible with God. I'm gonna preach the word of God over myself to know that, hey, these are just feelings, these are just circumstances, but God, his word endures forever. And he has said, he will not leave me. I want to read for you Romans chapter 8. You might find yourself there. But I want to read Romans 8, 31 through 39. And, and maybe just write the reference down here. And this passage of scripture 
is a great passage of scripture to preach back to yourself. Again, the greatest thing for you to preach back to yourself is not your thoughts, it's the word of God, okay? Don't get lost in your thoughts. Dig into the word of God. And so, excuse me, Romans chapter eight, and I'm gonna read for you the New Living Translation just because the other, the, the King James, the New King James is so familiar to me. Sometimes I just like to read a different text. Romans eight thirty one. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Isn't that a great truth to preach back to yourself? He did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all. Won't he also give us everything else? Like Paul is saying, if he was willing to give his son for your salvation, how much more is he going to give for you to experience the fullness of God? He did not spare his son. Verse 33, who dares accuse us from whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and it was raised to life for us. He is sitting in the place of honor at God's hand, pleading, God is praying for you. Jesus right now in this moment, if you are a follower of Christ, is praying for you. Is that reassuring? Stop listening to yourself, start preaching to yourself. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have? So here's a, listen, I love the way this is worded. He says here in verse 35, can anything separate us from Christ's love? What's the answer to that question? No. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecution or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Can you say amen to that? Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And I am convinced nothing can ever separate us from the God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that a good message to preach to yourself? You may not feel like God loves you right now. But trust me, he does. Trust me, he does. And as was once said, Raymond Edmond says this, never doubt in the dark what God has told you in the light. Preach to yourself. Number five, here we are, remember Psalm 42.4. When I remembered these things, I poured out my soul within me. For I used to go to the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with a voice of joy and praise with the multitude that kept a pilgrim's feast. Now, I think when he says in verse four, I remember these things, I think it's all the things he's been preaching to himself. God is faithful and God is good and God is just and God is merciful and God is long-suffering and nothing can separate from the love of Christ. But, but then he goes on to describe something else he remembers. 
And he goes on to describe the memory he's thinking about that's sustaining him, that is centering him, is corporate worship. I remember being with the people of God in the house of God, worshiping the one true God. Memories are powerful, aren't they? Do you, do you think memories are powerful? Now, some of you have like, you can remember every detail of everything that ever happened. How many of you are like that? Okay. How many of you are not like that at all? Okay. My wife could, you could ask her or something and she'd be like, yeah, I was seven and I was wearing a green polka dot dress and we had spaghetti for lunch. I'm like, what? <laughs> memories though. Here, I dug through a closet last night to find this. So I wanted to share memory. Because memories are powerful. This is my high school, no it's not. This is my son's second grade football helmet. Go Elks, right? There's a lot of memories that go with this helmet. Really, there is, a lot of fun memories. I remember coaching him, I remember yelling at him, all in the name of Jesus, but <laughs> you know. Can I tell you what this, the memory of this doesn't do for me? It doesn't remind me of God's goodness. It doesn't remind me of life change. It's just a good memory. The psalmist doesn't say, oh, I remember the good days. He remembers worshiping in the house of God with the people of God. And the memory, even in through his depression, centers him. Listen, as a culture, we do not value what we're doing right now in this moment very well. We value these memories more than these memories. It's a long time ago. Son's 25 now. You know what I'm thankful for? That I know where he's at right now. One of my greatest memories was in 2017. In 2017, I was meeting with some people from our church in their home on a Sunday morning in China. We're not supposed to gather and worship. And I remember them putting on the TV and we sang the goodness of the Lord. And it was a small glimpse for me of how valuable gathering with your church family is. When I looked over and I saw the emotions of that family who had not been able to gather with their church family and worship, it's powerful. And I remember every Sunday when they would come back from China and they would sit right here in the sanctuary and I would watch 
Because their worship, after being away for a year, two years, it was different than mine. And I think for the most part, many of us, we do not value this opportunity. The psalmist says, when I remembered gathering with God's people in God's house, worshiping a good God, how I long for that. It centered me. The sixth thing, he thirsts for God. He thirsts for God. Verse 1 and 2. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before you? Now, I have a picture here that probably my, my assumption this morning is that when you hear this verse, you think of an image, okay? Uh, a deer peacefully drinking by the water brook. How many of you, yeah, that's kind of the mental picture you get in your mind. Just put your hand up, all right? All right, most of you, to some degree, that's, that's the image you get in your head. It's a great image. It's a great picture. It's a great thought. But it's not at all the context of this passage, is it? The passage of the scripture is not that the psalmist is sitting by a water brook. My life is so awesome. It's so peaceful. Maybe I should make a coffee mug and put it on it. Maybe I'll make a t-shirt. And I'm not saying it's wrong to have a coffee mug that says that, okay? Let's just be real. Let's understand the context of the verse. The psalmist is depressed, discouraged. All hope is lost. He, he's running. He's fearful. He's crying out, God, why have you forsaken me? Remember who else said that? Pretty popular guy. Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This image does not portray the desperation of the situation. The psalmist is saying, oh God, I need you. And if, if I don't have you, nothing else will do. I want to be that desperate for God. That every day I get up and I say, God, I want, I want to pursue you. I want to find my fulfillment my satisfaction, my everything in you. God, I can't, I cannot, I cannot, I cannot go on without you. Would you just close your eyes for a moment? And I just want to give you a moment to, to, to kind of rest in this. And I want to encourage you today. Maybe you're already there. Maybe you are desperate right now. You are in a desperate situation and you, you are like the psalmist. Oh God, I'm crying out as a deer. But, but maybe today you're not desperate. 
God's just saying to you, I wish you were desperate for God. And I want to just give you a moment to just come to the altar. If God has spoken to you one way, one, one side of the coin or the other, I'm desperate right now, I need God, or I'm not desperate, but I want to be desperate, just come right now. Just come.